Hey everyone, welcome to my show, my so-called fabulous. I'm Tiffany and it is so good to come to you today and educate you and to share with you and to just bring things on this show to make us better people. And that's what I'm doing today. I have brought this fabulous woman on the show. I'm so proud to know her. Y'all, she's uh, not only a fabulous woman, let me tell you the things she has done. She has launched this company and she's going to tell you more about it, but it's the net and the worthy co and y'all, I guess I'm a little naive about sex trafficking because I was invited by this woman to the leadership luncheon, um, the survivor leadership luncheon back in September and create awareness that girls are not for sale. Did you hear me? They're not for sale. Welcome to the show, Melissa Ice. Thank you, Tiffany, for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and to chat with you today. Well, I am so honored you're sitting here with us today because when I, Melissa, when I went to the luncheon, I'm embarrassed to say, I know my daughter, 23, knows more about sex, sex trafficking than I do. And I did. I did cry at that luncheon because mm. I didn't realize what is going on in the world. But I, I want to bring you on the show to create awareness, obviously, and to, to help stop this. But you developed the net. All right. So tell us about your company. Yes. So the net is an anti-trafficking organization that I founded in 2012. So we just celebrated 10 years, which is exciting. Um, and what we say is that we support survivors of trafficking because we believe everyone is worthy of the chance to rebuild their lives. Um, and really that's what we do. We try to put tools in the tool belts of survivors so that they can truly be whole and free. And we've just realized over the last 10 years that it takes it takes a lot of support. You know, there's a, a really amazing company called Thistle Farms, and it's based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and they make products um, all made by survivors. They're in 250 Whole Foods across the country. They've been around for over two, two over 20 years. And the founder of that program who employs survivors said it takes a lot of failed systems and communities to get the women and girls out there, meaning on the streets. And so it's going to take communities to bring them back. And so really that's what I love about podcasts like this and opportunities like this is that it's just a community saying, what do we need to do to bring them back to make sure that those women like our daughters have the same opportunities and they can live a really flourishing and healthy life. And that's what the net tries to do. And we do it one person, one woman, one relationship at a time. One at a time. So the net has three programs that I read, I'm sure many, many more, but three yeah. main programs. So tell me about the three programs. Yeah. So the initial program is called Purchased, and basically we just provide direct services to women. And so we meet them. We partner a lot with our city. So we go into the jail every week. Um, and Tiffany, really how that started was I was just um, building relationships with people in Fort Worth who are experiencing homelessness. And so we started, we created a breakfast um, in 2010, actually, where we started having breakfast every week with people who we're homeless. Um, and we would meet these sweet girls. And then one week they wouldn't show up to breakfast. And we would think to ourselves, well, where did she go? So we just look her up in the Tarrant County database and we're like, she's in jail. Mm -hmm. Why on earth is she in jail? So we would go visit her, which probably like you, I'd never been to jail before. No. Um, not inside or outside to visit no. somebody. And we would go visit her and, and we would just ask her a bunch of questions about her story and say, hey, you weren't here this week. What's really going on? only to find out that she was actually being exploited on the streets. And then 
because of her exploitation being arrested Mm -hmm. um, for prostitution and so ending up in jail. And so really that was kind of our entrance to understanding their story and realizing, wow, you're in a really vulnerable situation. No wonder you're being exploited. And through visiting the women in jail, there was a court program that an amazing judge here in Fort Worth created on behalf of these women to offer them instead of jail time to truly offer them rehabilitation and recovery. So we partnered with them and we just created something called Purchase, which was our way of making sure women know um, that they no longer are being purchased, aka bought and sold um, by people who are wanting to exploit them. But instead, um, we believe that they were purchased by God to live a beautiful and flourishing life. And so what we try to do is just provide that. And that has looked a bunch of different ways over the years. You know, when you start things, Mm -hmm. they kind of look one way in the beginning and then you learn a whole lot. And for me, we were learning about the the layers and the, the onion layers of trauma that the women have experienced. And so we were realizing, okay, they need substance um, help. They need mental health opportunities, um, opportunities to recover from the mental health that they were experiencing. They needed jobs. They need GED. They need to ha- know how to open a bank account, really simple things. And so that's really what the purchase program is. And that's how that evolved. But it eventually became Worthy Co. where we decided, hey, we have a bunch of women and unless they have a legitimate job, mm-hmm. a J-O-B, which we all need, <laughs> if, all. You don't, if you don't have e- income, you can't really succeed in life. You can't provide for your family. You can't pay rent. And so Worthy Co. was our answer to that, was providing an employment program. And MACE is a whole other podcast, but that's just our program that stands for Men Against Sexual Exploitation. And the third piece of the puzzle is that we address the buyers. So we partner with law enforcement. We meet with men who are being arrested on the spot, who think they're purchasing somebody that day. Instead, they're being met with law enforcement and our team. Wow. Um, and we just provide them with resources because they're if they're doing that, they're also experiencing some kind of brokenness. And so we're just trying to address that and offer them help as well. I love that you said that because I do feel like people are broken. And where does this come from? Where, um, where in a woman's life or how do they feel not worthy hmm. that they would sell themselves to, to someone right. for sex. And I think about the men or women. I mean, mm-hmm. I think about this and how were they broken through life, you know, and how you unravel or peel that onion layer back. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what we've learned is that, um, and statistically it shows that a lot of the people who are caught or in an exploitative situation who are being trafficked, um, they're typically recruited. You know, the average age of entry into trafficking is 12 to 14 in the mm-hmm. United States. And so think about it. That person, their, their frontal lobe isn't even fully developed. And so if you add in any vulnerabilities whatsoever at home, and those vulnerabilities don't have to be, it could be homelessness, aging out of foster care, um, things like that. Um, childhood sexual abuse, but it also the vulnerabilities could be parents who are workaholics and are unavailable, who are detached. It could be single parent homes, broken homes, divorced families. Um, there's lots of reasons why someone would be looking for validation. And I think that's important to recognize is that people who are trafficking other people, um, they're looking for people whose needs need to be met. And what they do is they offer to meet those needs in order to exploit them. Absolutely. And I and I did speak with some women at the at the luncheon that explained that to me. They felt hopeless. They felt like they there was no hope. Right. Yeah, and I'm sure you see that so much. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's what we're trying to offer them mm-hmm. at the net. It's just an opportunity. Um 
to have a fresh start. I always say all the time, you know, your story is not being done. It's not done being written. Mm -mm. There are so many chapters left um, of life to be lived. And if anybody has the amount of resilience and strength that you have, then there's a beautiful life in store for you and a future that's available to you. And we want to make sure that you get there. Absolutely. Melissa, tell us, because again, myself, I, I'm almost ashamed at not knowing and not being aware, but what are some of the things the listeners and the viewers now, what are some of the things they don't know about sex trafficking? You know, Tiffany, the thing that I have noticed, which, you know, 10 years ago when we started doing this, people were not really talking about it. And so something I'm very grateful for is that it has been brought to the spotlight. There is a conversation happening now um, and we see it, you know, whether it's online and news stories, um, social media, people are talking about it more, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Um, it also opens a door to some misinformation that I think can be tricky because then if you're a concerned citizen or you're trying to identify it and make a difference, and you have the wrong information, then you could potentially be misdiagnosing the problem. And so one of the things I think it's always important for people to know is that trafficking is a crime, right? And so if we're trying to find, identify trafficking, and it actually only becomes trafficking when there's a, an exchange with a third party, a monetary exchange. And so prior to that, it's not trafficking. And the reason that I say that, that it's really important is because there's kind of a buzz where I feel like trafficking has become synonymous with either kidnapping or being robbed. Mm. And there's a lot of talk about um, safety and parking lots and things like that, which I think is important because nobody wants, that's scary. That's scary for me. That's scary for you. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what's important for people to recognize and just remember that traffickers are, they're not the creepy guy in a trench coat living in their mom's basement. They are businessmen. They are looking for a commodity that they can sell. And somebody who is not a very sellable item would be somebody potentially, you know, potentially like me. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm walking to my car with a, with a toddler in tow and a groceries, grocery bags filled from Whole Foods, I'm not going to be the best commodity to sell because A, I have a family. Um, I maybe have means. I have, my needs are being met. Look, my, my trunk is filled with groceries. I don't have a lot of needs that he can meet for me. And on top of that, I have people who are going to look for me. Um, I don't live in obscurity. I have a family who loves me, who cares about me. I have a support system. So the moment I'm gone, that everybody yes. will know, I'll be, it'll be on the news. So what they're looking for are people who don't have those things being met. Those needs aren't being met. And so that it typically does start with someone looking for vulnerabilities. One trafficker said that he used to go to the mall and he would find a group of girls and he would compliment each one if there's a little group of them. And the ones who said, oh, well, you know, he's like, you're beautiful. He said, I know, I know I am. Um, he would wait for the one where he would tell her she's beautiful. And he said she would look down at her shoes and say, no, I'm not. Mm. And he would say, yes, you are. Has no one ever told you that? And he said that this trafficker in a documentary said, that's when I knew that was the one. That's the victim. That's the one that I'm going to build a relationship with, that I'm going to um, dote on, that I'm going to go take to get their nails done. I'm going to make them feel special because they don't believe that about themselves. And that is a product that I can sell as someone who doesn't have that value and that worth. I mean, that's the, because that's it. They're, they're devalued and they have no self-confidence at all. Right. Amazing. Yeah. 
Oh and the FBI says that less than 1% of trafficking victims have been kidnapped. And so if you think about that, the alternative to that is that 99% of trafficking victims are actually being recruited by someone they know and trust. And so typically that looks like a boyfriend. Um, it's a friend. Sadly, we hear of familial trafficking. So it's parents um, also trafficking their kids when they're in that, that age, the mm -hmm. 12 to 14 age. And so fast forward 20 years, if nobody helps them, they end up in the Tarrant County Jail and in our program because they've you know, not had any intervention along mm -hmm. the way. And your program helps them so much, right? I mean, just, I can't, I, are you just so proud? I mean, of what you've developed and what you and your associates and these women have done. Yeah, I am. And I'm, I'm really proud of these women because I said to one of them yesterday, she's um, experiencing some really hard things and is um, getting a divorce from a, um, she's experiencing domestic violence and trying to keep her kids safe and just going through it. And I looked at her and I was like, you are still standing. Yes. And she was like, you know what? I am. And we were joking because she had her lashes on. I was like, you got your lashes on today. You came to work today. <laughs> like you are crushing it. And she was like, you know what? I needed to hear that. I am. I'm still standing. I'm here. Mm -hmm. And really that's what I'm proud of is oh. that those women believe in themselves. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Melissa, you had a speaker at the luncheon, mm -hmm. which was so impactful for me because what I do think in my mind, what I was thinking that it was homeless, it was low income. I was so ill-informed. Tell us about the speaker because the demographics are troubling. It's not just the population I just spoke about. Right. Tell us about this speaker. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, she's amazing. She's a survivor. Um, you know, she has her master's in education. She is just doing so many amazing things right now, including writing curriculum for survivors. Um, but her name's Rachel Thomas, and she's based out of Los Angeles. And her story um, is really unique. I mean, you saw her. She's beautiful. She was in college at the time, young, but in college, and was approached by someone who offered to make her a model. And this person, like I said, he, you know, he's not this scary, sad person living in his mom's basement. He's a businessman. He had YouTube videos showing her the kind of music videos that she could be in. He, you know, had her sign a W-9. He um, took her to legitimate studios because he wanted to make sure that she knew that this was a legitimate job offer, this modeling career opportunity. Um, of course, that was short-lived. And after he had her social security number and all her information, um, he turned around and exploited her. And he threatened, you know, to harm her family. She yes. mentioned that and she was scared and he made her even call her family and say, I'm okay. Um, lots of, lots of interesting red flags that I don't know that we would initially think of because, and so there probably was some vulnerabilities there. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, you can just be manipulated into a situation. And I think that's where now we have to understand, you know, what it means to tell our kids to trust their gut and, mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. I think that's just a really unique situation. But I, but if we know those things, if we know that, hey, it's a savvy person. That's what I mean by the misinformation. If we're thinking it's some kind of scary, creepy person mm -hmm. that is going to look scary on the outside and not be charming and charismatic and um, uh, be a businessman, sure. you know. And so those kind of things I think are helpful. And just knowing that he was offering an opportunity for a career and she wouldn't have known otherwise. And I think those kind of things happen quite a bit, but now in the online space. Absolutely. And, and, and absolutely the online space. And this, this issue, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, you can be black, white, 
mm-hmm. Hispanic, Asian. You can be 12 to 14 or you could be my age. I yeah. mean, I mean, it doesn't I mean, it doesn't discriminate. So, you know what right. I'm saying? Yeah. I think that's what we don't understand. You know, how did you get involved with this? What in your heart made you be a, such an incredible philanthropist? You know, Ed, I I went on a trip. I went on a mission trip um, to I spent a summer in Ghana and West Africa when I was 19 and I was um, working in you know, villages and orphanages um, there. And I think that I was forever changed on that trip. And really it was just, it wasn't because I did anything great. I think I kind of, you know, 19 year olds, we're going to go and save the world. Right. And so I went on that trip thinking I had so much to offer and I was going to help these people. Um, When really, when I got there, I realized, man, these people have literally nothing like Nothing. Not a dollar to their name. Um, they are in pure survival mode, and yet they had each other. They had family. They had joy, and so it just made me realize that people who are in poverty are experiencing some forms of injustice. Um, they are really strong and amazing people. They're beautiful people, and they deserve opportunity. And so when I came back from that trip, um, I went on several other trips and spent a long time in Morocco and Nepal and China and Thailand and some other places where I got to serve and work. Um, and just during that time, I think I just just gained a heart for people who were not like me and had a different background than me and maybe just didn't have the same opportunities. But I felt like we're very deserving of those things. And, and really, it was God. God kind of shaped my heart into caring for loving my neighbor. Mm-hmm. He says to love him and to love his neighbor. And so I think I've just spent my life trying to figure out what does it look like to well, love my neighbor? Absolutely does. I mean, you're doing big, big things, big things. So I know you, um, if you're going into the jails and you're, and, you're, and you're helping these women, I know it's pretty heavy. It has to be heavy on you. Um, I would, I get emotional and I'm not involved like, like of, at all, like you are. But how do you have the courage and how do you encourage yourself to keep going and keep fighting? Yeah, I think it's um, kind of a twofold answer. And the first one is just, um, I just mentioned it a second ago, but definitely my faith. I really feel called, for lack of better words, called to be a part of the solution, um, to make people feel seen, known, and loved the same way that I feel like I've been given that. Um, by God. And then the second part is, um, I love, I don't know if you're familiar with Simon Sinek, but just remembering my why and why I'm doing this to begin with. Because whether you're doing anti-trafficking work every day, that can be hard. I'm married to a serial entrepreneur. That can be hard. <laughs> Personnel, <laughs> yes. payroll, you know, doing podcasts. Um, yeah, there's 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 a lot of hard in in all of our toil and labor, if you will. But remembering my why is what gets me out of bed. It helps me get through hard days. And so for me, um, my why is truly just, I believe that vulnerable people in my community are there on purpose and it's a communal responsibility to make sure that they have opportunity. And my biggest hope is that my girls, you know, <laughs> hope that they grow up in Fort Worth. I'm like, you're allowed to go maybe to SMU, maybe Baylor, not too far, you know? <laughs> Just come back, please, um, TCU. Yeah, I just hope that my girls, if they inhabit a city, um, that they can look around them and think, gosh, my mom did everything she could to make the city a better place. She wasn't just a consumer. She didn't just live here and 
eat, drink, and be merry and just mm-hmm. soak it all up and enjoy it just for herself. She really saw the things that she was given um, as meant to be expended on behalf of other people so that they too can enjoy and eat, drink, and be merry and have good lives too. Mm-hmm. And so I really want my girls to, to see that, that we spent our time, not only me as a working mom, but as a family, making the city around us better than we found it. Absolutely. And, you know, I always say this, I have one child and she's 23. And I I say this all the time. The most important job is being a parent Hmm. because you are molding, you're, you're making such an impression on these children and you are doing that for sure with your four and your six year old Justice and Rosie, for sure. But the mothers out there remember that your children are watching everything you're doing. And I feel mm-hmm. like sometimes when when the girl in the mall, when she's looking at her feet, are we making these girls feel like so, so important and so, so worthy? I mean, I go back yes. to your name, the worthy coat, so worthy. And it's so, in, it's the parent's responsibility. Mm, 100%. Right? Yes. And that's, you know, you just hit on something that if I do a training, I always... I look around the room and I say, okay, if you're a parent in the room, now's the time to listen. If you're an aunt, if you're an older sibling, if you're an educator and you are around the kiddos in your life, if you want to prevent trafficking, make them feel special. Connect with kids, ask them how they're doing, monitor the things that they're doing online. They're lonely. And so what they're doing to look for connection is they're going online to find Mm. that connection if they don't have it right around them. And that's a really dangerous place to be in 2022. Um, There's so many outlets, so many opportunities for people to be recruited, groomed, exploited um, in lots of, it isn't not just in trafficking, but just in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think too, just to combat a little bit of the, the culture that we live in that feels like you know, anything goes, whatever, just fulfill all your, mm-hmm. all the appetites that you have, just fulfill them all. You can do whatever you want. And I think there's something neat about families and sitting around a dinner table and having the opportunity to talk about, there's some good habits of resistance. There's reasons why we don't stay up till four in the morning every day and reasons why we drink water. Mm-hmm. You know, those are habits of resistance. It's like, I could just do this, but I'm going to form some habits that it's okay to say, no to things because discipline actually creates freedom in our lives. Whereas you do, you do whatever you want all the time. This, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And it can, it can just create a culture where you can't even push against, um, the sex industry or sex trafficking because everybody's saying it's fine and you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think too, just in my home, just talking about what does it look like to say no to things in order to say yes to really good things absolutely, um, and to be a healthier person, both for yourself and for your community. You know, um, I, I, I had a mentor many, many years ago tell me if your child speaks and wants to talk, listen, Listen, and that's so difficult when you have a child and it's mommy, mommy, mommy. (laughs) I mean, it's just a broken record. But she told me that. And I remember one time driving with my child and she was in her car seat in the back Mm. and she she wanted to talk to me. I pulled over and I just listened to her and she couldn't remember what she was going to ask me. (laughs) She couldn't remember. But I have always told her, stop, listen, always listen. Because I You wonder how sometimes these parents don't know. And I'm going to wrap this around to they don't know because they may not be talking. Now, this isn't all the parents' fault, obviously, but they're not talking and listening to their children. Yeah. So the cyber, the online 
it's bad, right? Yeah, because they'll find someone who will listen to them. Oh, you know? just the keyboard. Yeah. I mean, that's... There are people who are going to Instagram and DM message them and say, man, what's going on? Well, my mom did this today. Tell me about it. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that can be an entry point. It's like, okay, that what they need is connection. I can provide that in the beginning mm-hmm. before I ask them to do things that they, you know, don't, are uncomfortable doing. But in the beginning, I'll provide enough connection so that they trust me. So then it, the lines get blurred. It's like, well, you're not a scary stranger danger person in a parking lot. We've become friends over the last four months. So I guess I'll say yes, even though I don't think I should do that or don't want to do that, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I know, I know. that, and, and the internet is scary, and kids with phones earlier, and computers, and it's just, and monitoring. And I know, I'm assuming, I don't know because I don't have a young child, but there are monitoring ways on for, for computers and, and your online devices, right? Yes. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think we just can't be naive if you do have kids mm-hmm. um, handing them a phone. It's like, not this sounds dramatic, but it's like you wouldn't give a child, you know, you wouldn't put a child in the same room as like a gun or something without giving them instructions and saying, hey, we don't touch this. We don't point it at anyone. You know, if it's loaded, we do this. We there's a lot of vigorous things that we would do to for their protection and for their safety. And I think the exact same vigor should be taken into consideration when handing a child the Internet and letting them put it in their pocket. We should be understanding those parental controls. But at the same time, I heard a mom say recently, you know, there are, you can put all the controls on and then there's these walls and you can, they can find a way. There's websites that tell you how to make sure your parents can't see X, Y, and Z. So I feel like what you hit on the most important thing where we can put protections in place and try to find the right apps that can help us have a little bit more of a keener eye on what our kids are doing online. The other thing that we can do is provide them with connection and be that listening ear and be the person that they're looking for, be the validation that they need in their lives so that when someone else comes along and tries to manipulate them and offer them those same things, they think, I already have all of that. Mm -hmm. I'm not really interested in getting that from, from you. Tell me and tell everyone, what is the youngest victim that you have been in contact with? Eight years old. Eight. Mm -hmm. Sold by a family member. What? Seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I just, I can't, I can't. Which is harder to detect, right? Because they're going to school and they're, they're living at home. So it's, it can be tricky. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming with COVID and schools being shut down, I'm assuming that it was higher. The percentages were probably higher, right? Because it's. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you would think, um, because we monitor, um, the men, the men side, we have an online system. We do a thing called, we do online cyber patrolling. Um, and so because we've been doing, we've, we've had, we have over 15,000 unique contacts in our database, meaning 15,000 men in the DFW Metroplex or in Texas, who we have their information in our database because they called um, a decoy ad. And now we have their information and they're met with one of our volunteers. And it was so funny because during COVID, we were like, well, maybe maybe all this will go away. You know, people can't, they're literally being told by the governor, they have to stay home. They can't go out. They can't do things. And it did not shift at all. At all. The numbers did not dip. <gasps> they remained the exact same. Mm-mm. They were not deterred by a pandemic or by COVID or the possibility of getting COVID. They were still ca- actively calling. Sex trafficking is not just in the city. It's in the rural rural communities as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. All over. And I would say it's even more detrimental in the rural communities because if the 
we're very lucky in Fort Worth. Our law enforcement, we had actually a men's breakfast this morning, a mace breakfast, and we had over 50 men in a room this morning at our breakfast, including six people from law enforcement today Mm -mm. at 7 a.m. at our breakfast just to learn from a therapist about the mindset of a sex buyer, which is not for the faint of heart, but we did have Riata, so maybe that's what brought them. (laughs) That's what brought them. No, if people want to help. Yeah, and so, and I think that that's what's amazing about Fort Worth is that we do have and I know not everyone is listening from Fort Worth, but having a, a city with law enforcement who's really involved and committed to the issue is helpful. And what's hard with the rural communities is that if law enforcement is not on board, if they're only arresting the women but not the men, um, if the DA there is not prosecuting traffickers, then they're going scot-free or getting a lesser plea deal and able to get right back out there and exploiting again. And then the victims are the only ones being arrested and getting felonies. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like in rural communities and they're, they'll have the opportunities to go to amazing trafficking trainings and have all those resources available. It's I would say it's more rampant there. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like it would be smaller because maybe the population is smaller, but there's less opportunity for resources. And I'll, yeah. Oh my gosh. Unbelievable. This podcast is, I'm very proud to say, um, all over the world. I, we have listeners all over the world and so proud. And how can the listeners help? What can they do? What can they do? What can we do? What can I do? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think we've touched on some, I mean, to me, the most important thing is if you have a kiddo in your life, if you're a grandparent, aunt, uh, you know, a parent, mm-hmm. whoever is loving those kids, connecting with those kids, making sure that they um, feel seen, feel heard. That is the most important thing. But I also feel like if you, if this is all new to you, same, the same way that you kind of felt coming into the luncheon, like, wow, you know, um, there are really amazing survivors out there who have written memoirs. And I feel like when I was just beginning my journey, before I ever started helping, before I'd ever met a survivor in real life, um, this is kind of silly, but a long time ago, I think back in 2010, I started a book club where there was a group of women, which I'm like, what were we thinking? But it was really great. <laughs> we would read books by survivors who had written about their story. And I think that was helpful because our information wasn't coming from social media. It wasn't coming from um, a political ideology. It wasn't coming, you know, it was coming from their mouths. It was like their voices are being heard. They had the courage to take their story of tragedy and turn it into triumph and put it in a book. And I love the idea of someone who felt voiceless and hopeless um, and invisible for so long. Now, when we learn about this issue, to me, my favorite way to tell people to learn is just to pick up one of their books Mm. and to read it because you're listening to what their voices, what their stories, what they have to say, um, what their experience was like. And I think that's one of the best ways I've learned about this issue. And so that's my biggest encouragement to anyone is if you're just starting from scratch is you know, just find a great memoir. I could obviously send you some after mm-hmm. this if you wanted to share them. But we will, we will, we'll yeah. link those for sure, absolutely on the on the show notes. What is one of your favorite stories from uh, someone you've encountered? I mean, can you share? Yes, yeah. I think you know, there's um, a certain girl that a woman that we know, and man, her story. You know, she there was a lot of. Um, there's a lot of childhood sexual abuse in the home from um, cousins and um, other people. And so she, and that and that really went on for a long time. There was drug use that she was around. And so, and 
her version of the story is that she would, you know, she started using drugs at a really young age too, because she was trying to cope with this trauma and the mm. things that had happened to her. And she had tried to tell people and they were, didn't believe her. And, yeah. you know, just the, the kind of the formulaic thing that you're like, Oh, they didn't believe her. And so then she thought, well, it must be me. I must be doing something wrong. And that's why that's happened. Um, and so that did evolve into her meeting an older guy um, who promised her the moon and the stars and ended up exploiting her. And that was her story for decades, Tiffany. Like, really, that was her story. And so fast forward to about six years ago when we met her in jail. And she was entering into this court program that we work with. And she was feisty at first and didn't trust us, rightfully so. And she eventually um, came around, started going to recovery, started doing really amazing work on herself. Um, I remember when she got her first job, and one of which one of which was working at Worthy Co. at our company, wow. which is really fun. And we were all so proud of her because the thing that she she was crying one day, and she said, and she had bought she had a high schooler, she had bought her kids braces. She was like, you know, I always thought that that's what normal people do you know, they get to do things like that. But moms like me, we've messed up. And she was like, and now I get to buy my kid braces. Wow. And she was like, I've never felt like a better mom because this is what normal moms get to do. And now I can be a normal mom again. And so she worked for us for several years, kind of worked her way up in the ranks. She actually moved on to another company and she's in sales and she's crushing it. We joke around the office because she makes more than I do. So we're like, wow, we're in the wrong, you know, oh, right. we're in nonprofit. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but she's not, and she's doing so great. And not only that, she gives back. Um, she comes back to the net. She teaches classes to our ladies. She really helps the women who are coming behind her. I will say my favorite thing about her is that I lost my mom a few years ago. And when I went through that, she was so there for me. I mean, held me in her arms, let me cry, um, hugged me, prayed for me. And I just thought, wow, like uh, how amazing that you still, you have so much to give me. Here I am thinking that I have something to offer you. And really I'm the beneficiary. I'm the one who's benefiting from this relationship, from watching your strength, from watching your resilience and um, allowing you to enter into my story and my hard things and you comforting me. And so she's just one of my heroes. I love her. I mean, that that just has to make you have, I mean, so fabulous. I mean, just what a difference you're making. I mean, I'm just so proud of you and I'm proud to know you. Oh, well, thank for you. Sure, thank for you. sure. And also the, the Worthy Co. Yes. It's retail, right? It is. Yeah. That's so, what you're employing <laughs> victims. Yes. So they come, we have a retail store and they, the women come to our store. So we have actually a production facility attached to the retail store and they hand pour candles and they hand make jewelry, like some of the jewelry, everything I have on today is all Worthy Co. So every piece of it, all the clay jewelry is all made by our women, which is so exciting because it's really encouraging. And I think therapeutic for them, you know, when you start with a lump of clay and it turns into something yes. that you created that people in the community buy or go online and buy. Um, and so, yeah, they have sales goals. They're, you know, they're trying to get, they're like, we need to get more candles out the door. I'm like, it's candle season. Don't worry. We're going to get them out the door. <laughs> exactly. um, but yeah, we, we have the opportunity to employ women there. And I mean, they just, I could tell a million stories about the things that they've overcome. They're taking one just graduated from an Excel computer skills class oh. and, 
um, she got a free computer because she graduated, wow. you know, at the top of her class. And we're so proud of her. And that's just a huge leap for her. She was very nervous about that. And now she's doing great. Well, I'm so proud of you. So proud to know you. And you guys, you can donate. You can donate your time, obviously, financially and just Make a difference. Be aware. Everything we talk about today, for sure, for sure. Okay, we can find you. We can find you so many places, but <laughs> and we're going to link everything, everyone, uh, at the show notes. But the Worthy Co. The, yes. Let's see that your your website is worthy co dot com. That's right. Yes. Instagram. The Net FW, mm-hmm. the Worthy Co. for Instagram. I mean, you've just you've got so much going on. You don't run all this, do you? I have an amazing co-founder, <laughs> co-founder for the Worthy Co. and oh. lots of employees who do things way better than I do that I rely on very heavily. <laughs> well, you know what I say? I say stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Yes. So, well, thank you for being here to Melissa. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Tiffany. Absolutely. Now, everyone go and listen to this show and also want to tell you, learn, get involved, and make an impact. That's what you need to do. So everyone, follow along. Watch us on YouTube. Follow along at Tiffany C. Blackman on Instagram. Paints all the things, of course, all the social things. And everyone, have a wonderful day. And you know what? Keep being fabulous. Fabulous.